0: Good morning, good to be with you again. Good morning. Ah, there we go. Good, good, good. Uh, you may recall, those who were here last week, that I took the opportunity to talk with you uh, a little bit about prayer. Uh, if you were here, you may remember that we were kind of flying high at about 30,000 feet. We looked at the, uh, the issue, the practice of prayer, through uh, the biblical storyline. For some of us, that was new. For some of us, that shed some light on things and offered some connections that maybe uh, we hadn't considered before. I also know that for some, that was a challenge to operate on such a a big scale. This morning, what I want to do is kind of invert that and go from 30,000 feet to way down up, up close. Rather than surveying creation, fall, and redemption, what I want to do this morning is take us to just two verses. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. What I want us to do there is to think about our ultimate prayer partner, someone who helps us to pray. To put Romans 8, 26, 27 in context, let me read to you from Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. You'll know that Paul has already introduced us to life in the Spirit, Paul has already helped us to think about our place as heirs with the Son. And now he begins to zero in on the future glory that awaits us and the way in which that serves us now, the way in which that anchors us now and enables us to be faithful while we wait. Paul writes, beginning in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Let me stop there and pray for us. Again, our Father God, we come to you as your sons and daughters, asking that you would be our teacher That this morning, as we reflect on prayer, that you would encourage us and enable us to embrace the gift that this practice of talking to you, conversing with you is. Father in heaven, send your spirit afresh, that he would lead us into truth and enable us to converse with you as the friends that we are because of the work of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope oh, we're on the move. Thank you, sir. There we go. Want to be in the light, of course. Uh, if you've ever been around uh, Bible-believing churches, maybe to practice even here, or other ministries rooted in a biblical foundation, it's quite possible that you've been encouraged or asked to obtain or avail yourself of a prayer partner. For some of us, that language is very familiar. For others of us, maybe not. So just in case, the general idea behind the language there is that we would find it easier to pray if we commit ourselves to praying with someone else. So the idea would be that we would partner up with someone and that we would find a time and a venue, an occasion, to pray with them on a regular basis, whether monthly or weekly Uh, Whatever the need may be. Together, we would help each other, encourage each other to pray uh, as the needs may be. As someone has aptly stated of this practice, there is an unusual power in united prayer. God has planned for his people to join together in prayer. Not only for Christian fellowship, spiritual nurture and growth, but also For the accomplishing of divine purposes and reaching his chosen goals. For myself, I'm privileged to be in a number of prayer partner type relationships. I'm only glad to persuade others of you towards this kind of practice and relationship. To my mind, the practical benefits of praying regularly with others are many and rich. For example, I find the attendance of another consistently beneficial. Quite simply, I'm better at prayer with others than when I'm alone. I'm better at negotiating the tensions of life in this world and responding to the sufferings and the experiences of futility when I'm with another person. And they're attended to me, they're present with me. We can help each other. Further praying with others actually compensates for my ability to pray wisely. The assistance that I'm given by others when they are praying with me uh, often helps me to see what I might not see by myself. Actually can show up, if I'm honest, some of the more selfish tendencies that fall into my own patterns of praying when there's no one else human with me uh, in the room. Having somebody else assists me to pray in a fuller, uh, more robust way. Further still, praying with others helps me to experience uh, a higher sense of assurance. I'm not sure about you, but my experience is that when I am with someone, and they are moved by the same dilemmas as I am moved by, where they are articulating the same concerns that I'm trying to articulate, then I actually find myself motivated and more confident in my praying. Now, I could go on and list many, many benefits of praying with others. I'm sure for those of you who have participated in this practice, you could add to my list manifold. I'm sure many of us in this room have had the experience of engaging with a prayer partner and finding their own prayer lives greatly enhanced. And yet, and this without in any way blunting my enthusiasm for prayer partnerships, and yet, if we're honest, not all prayer partners are created equal. Not all attempts to meet together for prayer prove beneficial. As big of a fan as I am of prayer partnerships, sometimes I have had my worst experiences of prayer in this type of relationship. On occasion, I have been thrust unexpectedly into wild, charismatic-type prayer where the things that were precious to me and painful to me became the playthings of my praying partner, where the things that were deep and conflicting and painful and personal to me were simply named and claimed and quickly moved on as if they mean not a great deal at all. Sometimes in prayer partnerships, I've discovered that I've actually been prayed at, made the target of pious barbs, of harsh words that are only ever uttered when heads are bowed and eyes are closed. On other occasions, I've been the only one to even remember to meet for prayer. Even so, the times that have really discouraged me The times that have really left me questioning this prayer partner arrangement is when I've realized that my best prayer partner, my most faithful prayers, are just as weak and as unknowing concerning what to pray for as am I. Have you ever had that experience? You're struggling wrestling, buffeted by the realities of life in this world, and only desiring the help that comes in turning to our Heavenly Father in prayer and very much needing the support of others around us who will know we assume what to pray for and how to pray for us and will lend us their wisdom their experience, their maturity in Christ. And as we meet, we begin to realize none of us are any better off. We are caught in the same weakness. My prayer partner is unable to help me, and I am unable to help them. In those times, prayer seems more like pulling our mutual ignorance than it does praying meaningfully. Not sure if you've ever been there, faced that. I see heads nodding. This morning, as thankful as I am for all those who've been willing to pray for me and with me, I am most thankful for the ultimate prayer partner that each of us as Christian men and women have been given. Those of us who have been adopted as sons and daughters in Christ, each of us who have been made children of the living God by way of trusting into Jesus, have been given an ultimate prayer partner. As Romans 8.26 and verse 27 makes clear, the Holy Spirit is that ultimate prayer partner. The Spirit of God. Not only dwells in our hearts, but also serves as divine intercessor, as an agent of comfort and of aid. Now, I'm not sure how many of us are used to thinking about the Holy Spirit as our partner in prayer, so I thought this morning that I'd take the time that remains to simply unpack verses 26 and 27. My goal is to stick fairly closely to the text and to draw out the very real encouragement of the passage as I see it. Noting that the main burden of these two verses is to communicate that part of the Spirit's ministry to us is to help us in our weakness, especially in connection to our prayer life, I want to go on and unpack two main points And then a third that will draw out some encouragements from those two. And each of these in contrast to our best human prayer partners who remain valuable and important but who are surpassed by the Holy Spirit in every way. So then, unlike our best prayer partner, the Holy Spirit never shares our common weakness. We've had that experience of wanting to be helped, needing to be helped, and of not receiving help with my human prayer partner. Because he or she, like me, shares a common weakness. A weakness the Spirit never shares in. What am I talking about? As much as Romans 8 says, is a beloved chapter for many of us. And as much of Romans 8 is rich in pointing to the ministry of the Spirit, the fact is the Spirit's ministry in relation to our prayer life is rather commonly glossed over. Some of us know Romans 8 verses 16 and 17 by heart. And we cherish the Spirit's ministry of bearing witness to our hearts that we are children of God and is also. Others of us can't wait to get to Romans 8:28 and the assurance that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not to mention the amazing words which follow and close out the chapter in Romans 8:31 and 39. There is such rich encouragement in Romans 8 If you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you've probably found hope in this particular chapter of Scripture. And yet, so often we fail to see this wonderful gift of the Spirit who is helping us to pray, to converse with God our Father. We lose sight of the way in which the Spirit is given to help us with our weaknesses. Now, to fully appreciate what the Spirit is doing and how it helps us, we first have to give a little bit of time and thought to the nature of our weakness, to what it is that holds us back and impedes us as we pray. Generally speaking, and as the wider context suggests, we are caught somewhere between groaning and glory. The first verse of verse 26, likewise, or sometimes translated in the same way also, is connecting our two verses back with earlier portions of Romans 8, in which we learn that we are actually living between the now and the not yet of God's working in our world. We can catch a clear glimpse of this in Romans 8.15, where Paul says that we received the spirit of adoption as sons, and then Romans 8.23, where Paul also says we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons. Paul, are we adopted now or not? Is our adoption and all of its attending realities available to us now or not yet? The answer is that we, in connection with all of creation, are both saved and fully waiting to be saved. We have received some benefits now. Acceptance with the Father. Boldness before him. Even when we get it wrong, the assurance of his chastising love. But... The full benefits, complete liberty from sin, perfect access into his presence, full assurance, wait for a time when sin is fully overcome. And so I say we live somewhere between glory and groaning. We live in the tension of two ages, if you will. We are but only halfway And the experience of living halfway home is the experience of waiting and of weakness and thus of groaning. That's our general weakness, our condition. But this general weakness results in a more specific weakness. Look at verse 26 again. We do not know what to pray for as we ought knowing how to pray as we should that is consistently praying according to the will of god in alignment with god's purposes is something that often eludes us of course it's not that we're not aiming to pray in accordance with god's will rather it's that our being caught in the tensions of life we simply don't know what God's will is in every circumstance and situation. Who of us this morning has not wrestled with their own ignorance in knowing what to pray for? Who of us has always known precisely what to pray for in every particular situation? I've got to tell you, folks, I feel like a dunce At prayer, there are so many things I don't know. So many questions I have. Do I pray this way or that way? Do I ask for this or for that? For example, for some time now, I've been following the news concerning the young Nigerian women kidnapped by Boko Haram, forced into sexual slavery. I've been praying for those women. In praying for these women and in praying against their despicable captors, what was I to pray when news began to filter through that although these women had been released from their nightmare, they are now unwelcome in their home villages. And that on account of many of them functioning as suicide bombers. How am I to pray for the parents and the siblings of these young women? To take them back unconditionally? To receive them home with grave caution? Or not at all given their turned allegiance and the very real surge in suicide bombings? I have no idea how to pray what to pray for. My mind scrambles back and forth. Mostly, I can only weep for such a situation. It is so convoluted, so desperately wicked, so tragic and sad. How do we pray? Bring it closer to home. What about when praying for others that desperately ill friend, a friend whose physical pain and suffering is immense. Do we pray for their deliverance from this condition or their endurance through it? Do we petition God for healing or for patience and fortitude while they die? In such situations, Do any of us really know how to pray according to God's will? Are any of us sure what to ask for and whether our asking, one way or another, is in line with God's greater purposes? Our weakness, one that we all experience as finite and fallen human beings is never shared by the Holy Spirit. Our ignorance and our inability to pray rightly is not an experience of our ultimate prayer partner. The Holy Spirit in us prays with us, always completely in line with the will of God. He directs and shapes our prayers. This brings us then to the second point. Unlike even our best prayer partner, the Holy Spirit is always able to assist us. According to Paul, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, both the general tension of living between glory and groaning and with the specific weakness of not knowing what to pray as we ought, in what can only be described as the perfect remedy to our weakness, coinciding precisely with our inability and ignorance in prayer, comes the solution to our problem, the intercession, the prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit. Unlike even our best prayer partners, those who are stuck with us halfway home, those like us wrestling with what to pray, our ultimate prayer partner is always able to help us, to assist us. Look at the last part of verse 26. Paul writes, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us With groanings too deep for words. Several things are worth highlighting here uh, to make better sense of what's going on. First, the little word but. We can so easily miss these little words, but the little word but packs quite a wallop actually. It places the work of the Spirit in strong contrast to our weaknesses. The Spirit does not labour under our limitations in any way. This prayer partner is really able to help us. He is not limited as we are. Second, the not much bigger word, at least in English, in Greek it's quite a packed word, but in English the little word helps, back there in the first part of verse 26, the word helps is actually an important word. It denotes very real assistance. But even more exciting than that, not just the promise of assistance, it speaks of a support offered through cooperation. The basic thought here is that the Holy Spirit of God assists us in close coordination with our own activity. His assistance is cooperative, if you will. Two quick illustrations might help here. On the one hand, imagine trying to shift a large item of furniture. Uh, Perhaps it's time to replace the fridge. You've got to move that fridge out of the little nook in the kitchen and down the back steps and into the backyard. That's a heavy item. Maybe it's the old oak desk from the upstairs study, and it's got to come down the winding staircase. You can't do either of these tasks alone. These are beyond you, too big for you. You lack all the wherewithal to accomplish these tasks. You can't lift or shift either item by yourself. But your bodybuilder neighbor offers to help. Or better still, Clark Kent has happened by. He is wanting to provide you with rather superior assistance, even while you continue to play your part. What's that, Superman? I'll get the door for you. There's a role that we have to play, even in the face of this superior assistance. On the other hand, and perhaps more fitting in this context, think of appearing before a judge in a law court. You've never been to court before. You're unsure as to how to best present your case. Or simply, what do I even say? And when do I say it in such a setting as this? Enter the bailiff, who is on the best possible terms with the judge, but who is also sympathetic to you. This bailiff helps you to make your case in a way that accords with the mind of the judge and yet is completely fitting with how the judge conducts his courtroom. The spirit helps us in ways such as this. The contrasting helpful activity of the spirit is explained in terms of the spirit's Ministry of intercession. For our purposes this morning, three aspects of the Spirit's intercession deserve our attention. First, the Spirit's ability to aid us by way of interceding takes the form, you will notice, of a groaning that is too deep for words. These groanings are inexpressible And internal, they are, um, if you will, imperceptible, unspeakable. These groanings sum up or symbolize our condition at the present time. These groanings include both expressing and feeling our weakness, our frustrating struggle with wanting to pray, but not knowing how to pray. And the Spirit's participation in all of this Intermingled with our own groaning is the Spirit's communication with God on our behalf. Absolutely mysterious, but absolutely marvellous. The Spirit mingling, taking up, working with our poor prayers to offer them to the Father. The Spirit's ability to aid us in this way Is ongoing. Not only in moments of conscious crisis, but in relation to a wide range of experiences and circumstances, the Spirit is actively laboring to translate our experiences and emotions into God honoring prayer. There is a constancy to the Spirit's ministry. His communicating to the Father something about us, as well as something of our own thoughts and experiences, is not rare. It is not exceptional. It is not something that we have to muster up energy or the right frame of mind. This work of intercession for us is what the Spirit delights to do, it's a part of why He's given and how he operates as he dwells in us. The Spirit sustains our prayer life. He is alive within us, enabling us to pray, even when we struggle to find the words. Third, the Spirit's ability to aid us by way of interceding for us is according to the will of God. What was our problem? We don't know how to pray. Not as we ought. And here is the solution. According to the will of God. Just like our illustration of the bailiff in the judge's courtroom. So when God searches the believer's heart, he finds the indwelling spirit cooperating with us, translating our weak petitions so that they are more appropriately aligned with God's purposes. Stated plainly, the Spirit's intercession accords perfectly with the will of God. The Spirit's ministry is effective. His translation of our inexpressible longings in tandem with his counterbalancing of our weaknesses results in God's will actually being carried out actually being furthered in response to our prayers. Right now, our minds should be blowing. Our hearts should be leaping. The richness of the Spirit's work in relation to our prayer life is deep and mysterious, as I've already said, and profound and ultimately unfathomable and yet here it is testified to by the apostle paul as i unpack this teaching let me draw out some points of encouragement just in case we've missed them along the way so here would be the final point then while not forsaking our imperfect partners in prayer so if you're hearing me say trade in your prayer partner just to get alone with the holy spirit uh, strike that no keep praying with your prayer partner but our confidence let us always draw our ultimate encouragement from the holy spirit who's at work by the way not just in me or you but in our prayer partners as well here are some encouragements but drive from this teaching. In putting his finger on the basic weaknesses of Christians, a weakness in relationship to our prayer, Paul gives to us the great encouragement that God has not left us in our weakness. Far from Romans 8 verses 26 and 27, destroying our confidence in prayer, we ought to find ourselves encouraged by the fact that our inadequacy in prayer is part of our living in the tension of the times. But it is more than met by the provision of God in the Spirit's inexpressible, internal, ongoing, and perfectly concordant ministry of intercession. Praise God. We've not been left alone. In our weakness, in the midst of our weakness and in not knowing what to pray, the Holy Spirit is present, aiding us, leading us, guiding us. Although our prayers threaten to miss the mark, the indwelling Spirit who is interceding for us in the very theatre of our hearts prays always according to to the will of God. Although we struggle, the Spirit of God is always bang on target. He always achieves conformity to the will of the Father. We are not left in our weakness, but we have been provided with one to aid us, to comfort us. Let us keep praying. Let us keep pursuing God's will as best as we're able, knowing that even when we get it wrong, even when we don't understand, there is a ministry going on in our midst that tailors and shapes and forms our prayers so that they are heard with delight by our Father. Another great encouragement, I think, is that God's will is accomplished through our Praying. In all of this, the Spirit of God does not take us over, neither does he simply displace us and get to work without us. The Holy Spirit is not like that embarrassed parent who when the child spills their milk, rushes in, oh, just let me do it, or who takes the sippy cup and holds it to their mouth so as to avoid any more embarrassing instances. Paul is not teaching here a doctrine of passivity. Romans 8 is not about letting go and letting God. The Spirit has his own work to do. He's not actually come to do ours. There's no automatic deliverance from our weakness without us playing our part, seeking out teaching seeking out each other to pray with and for. The Spirit is ready to aid us, but he aids us as we actively pray. Our agency, our own activity, our ongoing wrestling with glory and groaning and with praying with and for others is taken up, matched, cooperated with by the Holy Spirit's ministry of intercession, and all the while, all the while, this sort of blow our brain boxes. All the while, God's will is being accomplished. Adolf Schlatter, a famous German theologian of a previous age, wrote this: The Holy Spirit does not remove the believer's powerless failure, nor does He annul His impotence. He neither reprimands nor withdraws his help from him. Instead, he accommodates his work to the believer. Oh my goodness, the spirit of the living God accommodating himself to our weakness. What tender mercy. What marvelous encouragement to be about the business of prayer. Third, and finally, and I offer these remarks with the utmost of care. I can't know you all. I don't know all that you're facing. But I would guess, as we move in not too many moments of time from our service of worship to the rest of life, each of us, each of you, are probably wrestling somewhere with a particular point of prayer. In some way, shape, or form, all this touches down for all of us who are sons and daughters of God. And so I want to point out for you this morning that this Spirit is present to you now. This is not something we read about long ago and wish for and hope for. The Spirit is present to us today. He is with us right now. And he carries out this ministry of intercession for all of us whose faith and hope is in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has poured out his spirit on all of us. Many of us do not know what to pray for. Our partners, our children, our most loved ones are making choices that may be breaking our hearts. Our neighbors, our relatives have informed us of medical diagnoses with great alarm and with real urgency, and we don't know what to say or how to pray. We read the newspapers day in and day out, and the headlines are frightening, and the situations are complex, and the voice of this nation is divided and rancorous. How do we pray? Some of you sitting here, we're about to ordain Jordan and receive Jordan Meribel into the life of your congregation, a new phase, a new chapter. What will this mean? What will this mean for West County Fellowship in a week's time, a month's time, five years, ten years? How will you impact your community? In what ways do you desire that God would use the ministry that emanates from this place to bless Chesterfield and beyond? We desire it, but we don't always know how to pray for it. All of us have our own questions of one kind or another. All of us are facing that dilemma of what to pray and how to pray and what words to use. Can I just say, God's spirit is not hampered by our uncertainty. God's spirit is not waiting for us to figure it out before he chooses to move or to bless. Rather, as we've heard from Romans 8, right now, in each of us, all of us, who by faith are trusting into Christ, have this ultimate prayer partner interceding for us, working in us and through us, that we with confidence might keep praying and keep asking of our Father. Dare I say it, none of us have need of knowing everything we might wish to know ahead of praying. All of us only need to trust the intercession of, Of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And when He searches our hearts, there He finds His Holy Spirit, our ultimate prayer partner, pleading and perfecting our prayers. Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our hope is sustained we as believers are able to bear our weakness. We can wait and groan together in hope. And in all of this, we are comforted, aided, and thus enabled to pray with genuine faith for all that God has promised in Jesus Christ. No wonder that Paul can go on to say, and we know, That for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's the basis of Paul's confidence and hope. The working of the triune God, the ministry of the Spirit in our midst on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. All things work together for good for those who love God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, Romans 8, is a rich and deep chapter and verses 26 and 27 are overflowing with the bounty of your love and your provision toward us. We have but scratched the surface. But Father, I pray this morning that beyond even my words, your spirit would even now be bearing witness in our hearts that we are the sons and daughters of God and therefore that as we pray, we pray with every confidence that you are at work In us, you are with us. O Spirit of God, we give you thanks for your resident work in our lives. Help us not to grieve you nor to quench you. Help us to cultivate their presence in ways that make us even more sensitive to your ministry in our midst. And aid us, help us as we continue to pray. All this we ask in Jesus' name.